Welcome to B2B Marketing Needs Don Draper, brought to you by True. For too long, B2B has lacked creativity and inspiration, leading to alarming declines in effectiveness and marketing departments being slowly devalued more and more within their organizations. We're here to change that by getting under the skin of what it really means to be a highly effective B2B marketer. We'll be speaking to some of the brightest minds in the industry to discuss what they're doing to be a bit more, well, Don Draper. And now, here's your host, Stuart Black. Joining us today on B2B Marketing Needs Don Draper is Steve Vinyl, Director of Global Communications at Rackspace Technology. He articulates and shares the Rackspace story with all audiences. Steve leads their PR, AR, customer advocacy, and internal communications teams across EMEA. He's a member of the Global Marketing Senior Leadership Team, and he's also accountable for internal communications globally. So Steve, welcome to the show. Thank you, Stu. Thank you for having me. So first off, what does being a bit more Don Draper mean to you? Okay, so I obviously I knew this question was coming. I've listened to previous episodes. I, I must confess, I'm not a serial madman binge watcher, but I, I've seen enough episodes to know about the enigma that is Don Draper. And I think what it probably means in context to this question and this podcast is really business to business marketing doesn't need to be dull. It shouldn't be dull. We're communicating with individuals at the end of the day and we're trying to get individuals to buy or do things. So um, what I think that means, take risks, be bold and don't be afraid to make mistakes and get it wrong. You've seen enough of the show to give us a good answer. So we'll let you off the hook. You're responsible for telling the Rackspace story, uh, and it is a great one. You are one of the leading cloud businesses in the world and recently went public. So what are the key parts of the Rackspace story for you? What's essential? Probably if I look at the be bold statement I made in the previous question, I think um, that's one part of the story that I find fascinating and, and exciting to work on. We have and continue to make bold decisions as a company. So if you go back 25 years when we when we were formed, we were actually, you know, a key part in the creation of the cap cloud computing and the hosting industry. And then roll forward a few years, we were arguably the first company in that industry uh, to understand the role that good customer services could play and actually to turn that into a selling point. And that that was a really big, bold decision for us and a direction for us at the time. If you move forward in years, we were uh, one of the early companies to create our own public cloud, and we partnered with NASA to do that. And again, big, bold move there. But then we weren't too bold or too proud enough to understand that we had some some young startups such as AWS and Microsoft Azure that were snapping at our heels and, and making real traction in that market. So again, we were bold. We made a bold decision to partner with those players rather than, than go it alone. And I think if I come back into recent history, the last five years or so, we're, we're a company going through a transformation and, you know, we're having, like any company, uh, you know, we're having to make bold decisions each day to ensure we are uh, doing the best we can for our customers and for our employees. And um, yeah, that involves bold decisions constantly. And I think the final part of this answer, my key role, my role in Amir is telling that Rackspace story. And the challenge is now making sure people know the right story about Rackspace you know, we were a hosting company. We were a, um, you know, customer service focused cloud computing company. We have changed uh, beyond recognition. We're a multi-cloud solutions expert. 
And we're all about helping companies and customers solve business challenges using uh, the best technology in the world. And, and that's what we're trying to do now, make sure everyone knows the new Rackspace and not the old Rackspace. And Rackspace has over 7,000 employees around the world, which is a hell of a lot of people to communicate with. So what are your key responsibilities um, talking to those guys? Okay, yeah. So part of my role is obviously internal communications. And I think it harks back to talking about that transformation that we and arguably most companies in the world are going through right now. Um, And it's about taking employees on the journey. And for me, taking people through change, it's all around really clear, compelling messaging uh, and letting people know where we're going, why we're going, where we've been and why we need to go in a different direction. That messaging needs to be transparent and balanced. We have to tell the real story. Of course, we're winning and we're doing a great job. And we also, But we also need to acknowledge that it can feel tough at times and we need to um, just be really grown up in how we talk to employees. Um, you mentioned earlier, we, we recently went public, which has led to a change in how we can communicate and how transparent we can be with employees and at what stage we can. So that, that brings with it some complications. I think once you've got the messaging right, the two other areas that I'm really focused on is making sure you have those robust channels with which to send the messages. So a lot of our time is spent either innovating and building new channels or just making sure we're evolving our channels so they're as efficient and useful as possible. And then lastly, the the third thing I call out is about measurement. We just need to measure everything we do to check it's working and to show value to key stakeholders that we're doing a good job. Um, Generally, we look at the work that we do, the output, but most importantly is how people engage with that and what the outcome of, of those comms is. And in the telling of that Rackspace story, there are challenges. Internal communications have historically been seen as quite a bland thing, um, not that creative, but that has been changing recently. Do you want to tell us how it's shifted during your time at the company? Yeah, I think look, internal comms, it's, uh, in a field of marketing, internal comms has generally got a bit pretty bad reputation. My a running joke with my friends is that my job is putting up to posters in toilets uh, because I think that's what people from the outside often think that internal comms is and does. Um, but if I'm honest, if, if I look at all of the communications I do, I'd say communicating to employees is probably the most creative and exciting part of my role and often the most rewarding. Um, and I think, you know, the, the huge potential that we have here are the employees and using them. So right now we have about 7,000 employees based 20 in 20 countries around the world. And, you know, everyone's got a unique situation and a unique story to tell, amazing skill sets and talents. And really when we can give people uh, a platform with which to show that, that's often where we truly get gold stuff. And, and I think throughout my career, internally, the stuff I'm most proud of and most excited about is just shining a spotlight on our employees and, and giving give them a challenge, give them a bit of incentive and, and let them go. And that's where you get some truly amazing content and you're able to back up or, or reinforce some key messages that you want to land. And do you want to give us an example then of a campaign that you've been involved in there that's been particularly strong? Maybe not putting up posters in toilets, maybe, maybe <laughs> you have something else up your sleeve. There might have been posters in toilets involved. <laughs> um, let me think... I, Look, I just talked about crowdsource content. So I think probably one of the most recent things we did that I was particularly proud of was, and, and it, it's not going to win any awards for creative ideas, but 
it was it was come out of a, a true business need that um, during the midst of lockdown we had a small but vital population of our employees who were coming into our offices or our data centers every day because their job required it and our, and our customers or our employees depended on it whether that was keeping our services running or keeping our facilities safe and secure so we wanted to make a visible thank you to that team and and kind of show them that we really valued the work they did so we did a very simple thing we we followed we followed a handful of them around for the day we gave them well, they've all got cameras in, the, in their phones, of course. So we asked them to, to film their day. We asked them to tell us their story, show us what they were doing. And we turned that into a, uh, a piece of content that we played at a global all hands. And normally we get between 50 and 60 of our entire employee base on that, on the actual live call and the majority of the rest watch it back on demand. And so we were able to make a really nice piece of content that just, and what was really nice about it is it, it showed it showed a different slice of life to everyone who was therefore at home. So, you know, me seeing what it looks like behind the scenes in a data center or what's involved with the facilities team when they need to do these spot checks around the office. It was really nice and made you feel good to see that. Of course, it made those those teams that we, we shone the light on really proud. But then, and this wasn't the intent, but it was a piece of content that we thought we should share socially. And it was actually one of the most uh, one of the best performing pieces of social content that we put out in 2020. And again, I think that shows a few things. It shows that uh, the, the lines between internal and external are, and I mean, have been blurred for, for a long time now. But it shows that that people-based content and particularly, you know, showcasing employees really can work in a business-to-business environment. And as you mentioned, a large part of what you do is about customer advocacy. What are the main tools and channels you're using to tell those customer stories? Okay, so in terms of customer stories, I think the it's not a tool, but it's it's probably for me the most important aspects and function of it is really about the customer relationships we hold and the value that we give our customers from telling our story. So if if I roll back, I mean, there's no better way than to tell the Rackspace story and to tell customers it was great than to get a customer to do it on our behalf. But obviously. For them to do it, there needs to be there needs to be value in it for them because you know our customers are busy trying to promote their own company. So why are they going to spend their hard-earned time promoting our company? And this was um, I'll give Catherine State a shout out here. This is something that she spotted. She's our was our customer advocacy manager for some time, and she she spotted this from very early days in her role. And so the advocacy strategy was all around identifying first of all identifying those stories that we want and need to tell secondly about building good relationships with that customer and then ensuring that by partnering with us they would see some sort of value for that and that value could be you know what we really we'd like your support with pr we we don't we don't have a big pr team or budget and we'd love you to try and get some headlines or it might be yeah we're we're desperate to get a grad some grads in so can you help us that the output that you create can that tell a good story for graduates sometimes it's a personal thing an individual would like to improve their um their own profile or get opportunity to speak at some events that Rackspace are at so it's about finding that that dual value that we get something out of and the customer gets value out of um and then what we would do in terms of how we would run that program so efficiently we would get all of the stakeholders that that need to be involved or would see some value out of the story on a call at one time. 
and we would interview the the customer as you're doing for me now we would film that but we would equally um make sure that all parts of the marketing function understood this customer and the story that they were trying to tell and in that one engagement we would then and that one one filming instance we'd be able to tell multiple multiple stories from it so it might be a a security story it might be but equally that security story might be delivered via aws so we have an aws story and you know what it might be a financial services organization so there we've got another story so we'd create this this hero story but then these smaller spotlight stories that fall underneath it um we then use that across the mix uh, you know pr social events demand gen you name it we can we can really tell that that story to an individual, uh, you know, a key segment of our audience in a particular way. And that stops it from just being a video we put on YouTube and hope people find due to a, a webinar that people come along and, and speak to a customer or a, uh, you know, using, using customers to gain us headlines in, in media. Mm. And that, that was, you know, it's an incredibly efficient way to do it and inc- incredibly successful. In fact, if I look at last year, 2020, 80% of the PR, the earned PR coverage we got was a customer-led story. So it was um, a piece of work that started with customer advocacy that then uh, made it either a dual release or a release that we made on behalf of a customer. And, and telling customer stories is great, but you still need to generate leads. That's you know what it's all about. What's your approach to tracking leads from top to bottom of the funnel? it has to be aligned to marketing. We have to align what we're doing externally to the marketing plan. And we have to know, and I was going to say assume, but no, we have to know that that marketing plan is aligned to the sales floor and the business objective. So if we're, if we're tied into the marketing plan, we know that we're, we're all going in the same direction that the business needs to go us to. And then a lot of the work that I do, you know, a lot of my work is more generated around the top of the funnel uh, but it needs to link and it needs to go all the way through. And um, I mean, this is not groundbreaking, but it's the kind of stuff I, I spoke about there. But, you know, we have a, a nice customer story at the top of the funnel, but we're, we're stretching that all the way down. So actually we're putting that in the hands of a salesperson that they can go out and in their pitch deck or presentation, they can pay a 40 second video that that is based on the same industry around the same pain points and the same technology. And again, that, that helps that seller by seeing a, a customer tell that story. If I, if I look at when, when this industry or, or this type of work is at its worst, it's where you've got different agendas. And, and I've seen PR programs that are, are pointing in one direction while the, the business objectives are pointing in another direction. And, you know, for me, that, that, gives, that gives PR a bad name and uh you know it doesn't build much credibility or you know return on investment to the business so i think it's all got to be joined up and i think where it comes really nicely together is when we do some account-based marketing or uh, you know even even more than account-based we we often do deal-based marketing so let's say for example and this is all hypothetical but let's say there's a big financial services institution that we're in talks with now up at the top of that funnel, if we can create some owned content, you know, maybe a blog about how digital transformation in the financial services sector is improving or needs to improve, you know, something newsworthy up at the top of the funnel, we can then pitch that to media and turn that into some earned coverage. So it comes that that content then comes with some credibility from a third party. We can then take that earned coverage and we can put it through our social channels. 
so that we're, we're then amplifying and again, all standard stuff. But then what we can do uh, and what we, what we do is we're able to um, use paid social to actually target that. And we can target that to, if it's big enough, you know, certain decision makers in the organization that we're trying to target, or we can, you know, target it to key players in that sector. So we can then be sure that that, that social content that talks to the earned coverage, which talks to our story is in front of the right stakeholders. And, you know, we've fairly recently, we did one of these campaigns and we spent no more than probably about £1,500 on paid media, but that uh, paid social media, but that generated over 700 views of a video that we wanted people to look at in that particular company. And so that's that's been when it gets very powerful that you you can join the dots through from that that high level piece of content down to actually yeah we know the stakeholders at the company we're trying to secure have or are watching the that content. Interesting. And how how would you say you then balance the competing pressure and how would you split your time and budget exactly? Um, in a very agile way, <laughs> I would say. <laughs> um, you know, it's for me it's. It's about making choices, communicating them to your stakeholders. You know, here's what we're going to do, uh, whether it's this quarter, this year, this this next five-year period. Make those choices, communicate them, and stick to them until something changes. And all through that, show a return on investment for that choice. Show why that whatever it is that you're focused on is bringing value to the company. But then I'd say, you know, as the environment around changes, which seem to be more rapid than ever across the world don't be afraid to switch and Mm. you know at that point then you need to reconfigure and you might let's say you had three strategic choices you may keep two of them the same but you may change one because the business needs that from you and again then you're the same thing let everyone know what you're doing keep measuring and show a return on investment i think days of an annual plan are, are, are long gone i think direction and focus yeah that can be multi-year but in terms of the strategic decisions i mean you know quarter to quarter month to month even in some instances you know we need to keep reviewing and adjusting so let's talk about creative effectiveness then um the two main tasks for any marketing campaign are brand building and sales activation as we've discussed how do you manage that at rackspace um well look again as a as a primarily an external communicator I'm, i'm spending most of my time in that brand space uh, for me, you know, that's where my passion lies. That's what I'm interested in and good at. Uh, but of course, I sit in marketing leadership teams. So I'm interacting daily with those, you know, in the weeds at the bottom of the funnel, trying to turn this into something that is meaningful to the bottom line. And again, it's kind of like I said earlier, for me, it's about joining those through content. And that's where I think we can work in a better and more efficient way. So again, just this finding that story and i think for me it's at the at the at the creative side of that story when we're working let's say it's a piece of research we're we're, we're running and, and you know research is you know a, a bedrock in pr and you know somewhat unnecessary evil because it, it continues to work and it and it's good um but it's about when you're designing that survey or that questionnaire just making sure you're as broadening it in it as possible both in your research in your methodology but also the questions you ask um so that means yeah if we're going to do some some research on cybersecurity risks let's ask people from multiple segments because the field marketers 
who are focused on healthcare, as long as we've got enough healthcare customers that we've asked a question to, they can cut that research in a way that really appeals to healthcare professionals. Um, let's look at different segments. Let's make sure we're not just asking enterprise customers questions. Let's make sure we're, we're looking at small, medium-sized businesses. So again, when we're looking at segment-based marketing, we can tailor that to, to create a headline that, you know, one in 10 enterprise customers feels dot, dot, dot. Um, and, and for us, different technology partners, let's make sure we try and get an AWS and a Microsoft Azure and a Google Cloud platform and a VMware angle in there. So again, if we're, if we're looking at um, marketing and co-marketing with our partners, we've got some content that we can use for them. And that immediately for me takes that, um, you know, some of those high level brand building activities down through marketing, through field marketing, closer to that sales floor. Uh, and, you know, we're beginning to att attach MQLs uh, into pieces of work that initially, you know, started at the top of the funnel and often, sadly, you know, might just sit on a blog on a corporate website and, and go no further. So I think um, that's kind of how we're joining the gap between brand and sales activation. And look, I, d I don't think I'm not saying anything unique here. I, I know, uh, you know, marketers and communicators around the world are doing this, but it it, it works for us and, and it's... Um, you know, it's helping our budget stretch further and helping us, you know, be more joined up between communications and marketing. So in your opinion, then, what's the best way to drive long-term growth in B2B marketing? So I'll give you an answer that probably 10 years ago, I would have been shocked to hear come out of my mouth. But genuinely, I think it's all around operational excellence. It's about yeah. knowing and understanding what works and why it works and, and knowing Therefore, what parts of what you're doing are driving a return on investment? And I think by having that and being able to do that, it gains so much credibility within within an organization. And, uh, and, and of course, then allows you to hopefully win more resources so you can do more of it and, and keep proving value. And for me, you know, marketing and comms, it, of course, it can be seen as a as the fluffy part of, of what the business does. So by taking that as much of that out of it and having a solid base of science and then overlaying some of that art and creativity on top of it, I think uh, for me is the best way to drive and, and grow any marketing organizational efforts. Mm. And, and some would argue that the best ideas are often contrarian ideas. You need to be right when everyone else is wrong. What contrarian ideas have you pushed through in your career? Okay. Um, I'm going way back, actually. Something I'm, I'm still incredibly proud of many, many years later was actually in my, in my first proper kind of career role at Nationwide Building Society, I worked in the, the brand and the advertising department. I was working on a radio campaign with a brilliant agency called Radioville. And historically in that sector, you know, it's financial services, it's highly regulated the easy thing was just to go very straight and very sensible and talk about the headline rate or the product features that that stand out. Um, but it doesn't really gain much cut through. So in collaboration with this agency, we came up with a, um, we came up essentially with a character known as the bank manager. And the idea there was that that individual would kind of highlight some of the, the poor practices that, that other banks and and financial organizations did such as you know offering lower rate for new customers or locking people into deals or confusing price points and so on and so we we came up with a a, a very creative radio concept which was 
genuinely funny. Um, and uh, I had to pitch that in the organization and was really the champion of that piece of work. And I had to, um, you know, I got laughed out of a couple of meetings, not in a good way, unfortunately, for <laughs> a humorous campaign. But, you know, just the, the initial pushback, we'll never do that, we'll never do that. Uh-huh. And I managed to gain enough enough internal support to go back and refine it. And in the end, we we recorded them. I, I was in a recording studio with um, David Williams and Matt Lucas before I had any idea who these guys were. Um, and we recorded that campaign and it did brilliantly. We won um multiple awards uh radio advertising board and aerial awards quarterly and annual awards for creative excellence and then it actually that creative idea led into our tv campaign um so then we we did a you know a huge five-year tv advertising campaign behind that one idea now i'm not claiming credit for that for everything but it it was uh that was me going into a um uh some leaders with a contrarian idea that, uh, again, I, I think stood up and, um, yeah, I was very proud of that. Mm, so the moral of the story there is if you split the room, you know, you're onto a winner. <laughs> yeah, true. Very true. Yeah. Cause you're splitting your audience in that case. Right. So yeah, um, get them talking, and, you know, yeah. if you're, if you're pushing people's buttons, then uh, you're doing something. Agree. Agree. So that brings us then to our rapid fire round, just to wrap things up. Um, so if you want to just respond to these as quickly as you can, don't think too much, just from the gut. Are you ready? Let's go. Number one, advertising or ABM? <laughs> um, advertising, but make sure you deliver it to your audiences using ABM. I'm on the fence. I'm on the fence. Have your cake there and eat it. Uh, number two, logic or magic? Okay. Um, you can't have both again. <laughs> no, no. I'm gonna know what you're good at whether you're good at that logical left side or that magical right side of brain, uh, but then partner closely with someone who is the opposite. And that's for me is where good stuff happens. That's a good idea. Brand building or lead generation? Brand. What would you say is the problem with B2B right now? Not enough creativity. Ah, okay. Which brings us to the next one. How would Don Draper fix the problem? He would be sacked within five minutes in any <laughs> any modern day workplace. But if he wasn't, he would be bold with his ideas and his um, his conviction. Brilliant. And if you could tell all the CEOs to read one book, what would you recommend? Uh, good strategy, bad strategy. Uh, I can't remember the author. Richard Rum Rum Rumult, I think ah, something like every, that. Everyone's good got strategy, Google. We'll find it. We'll find You'll it. Sounds find like it. a good one. And then, and then one final question. Uh, I know you're not a big fan, but you have seen the show. What's your favorite Don Draper moment or quotation? Okay. Am I allowed to let you know I Googled Don yeah, Draper of course quotes? You are, of course. <laughs> In that case, um, one that I saw that I instantly I, um, that I alluded to was, if you don't like what's being said, change the conversation. Be happy that you're being talked about, but make sure then that you're being talked about in the right way great stuff uh all it leaves me to do is say thanks for such an insightful fun chat steve vinyl thank you for having me i really enjoyed it i really enjoyed speaking and learning more about your philosophy there i'm stuart black see you next time on b2b marketing needs don draper